I was so enraptured with those announcements that I totally forgot that I was speaking. For those of you who have children, there's children's church happening. I don't know if there was an announcement regarding children's church, but you can take your child downstairs and there's workers working there. Another announcement that's fantastic that's happening starting this week is we are starting um, an ESL program at Warden, and that's happening on Wednesday starting this week. For those of you who may know people who want to learn the English language, um, it's happening here on Wednesday night uh, at 7 o'clock, and then also on Sunday night um, via Zoom. So two opportunities for people uh, to learn English language. It's it's happening here on Wednesday night and then on Zoom on Sunday night. So if you know anybody who wants to learn the English language and needs some help in that, um, we have tutors in place that will be conducting this, and it's, we're just a fantastic opportunity. We've been in this uh, series, small series, talking about uh, these unique encounters that people had with Jesus. We've been looking at some of these unique uh, times where people connected with the Lord. Uh, for example, the first week we talked about the woman with the issue of blood where she had this issue of needed healing and, and Jesus interrupted his progress and ministered to this woman. Last week we talked about John the Baptist who had doubts about Jesus and how Jesus interacted in responding to those doubts that John the Baptist had. This week we see another encounter of a person who unexpectedly experience the grace of Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you or you have it on a device, uh, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, notice what the Bible says. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. Now we move over into Luke chapter 23, verse 39. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Verse 40. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Now, this is a, this is a strange verse. Strange day for these criminals. And strange day for one particular criminal especially. It starts off as the last day of his life, and it's his absolute worst day. I'm sure you've had what you would classify your worst day. This guy has his worst day. He's hanging on a cross next to Jesus. But at the same time, while it is his worst day, it's going to become his best day. Now, I wish we knew something about this guy, but we don't. I try Googling him on Google, and you can try it too. There's absolutely nothing on the internet about this person. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know anything about his friends. We don't know anything about his early childhood. But what we do know this about this man is that he is crucified alongside with Jesus and while it is his worst day, going to be his best day, he receives, while he's hanging next to Jesus, a last-minute pardon. The unexpected gift of salvation. While hanging on the cross next to Jesus, 
something happened in his life within those six hours where there was this transformation that occurred in his life. We remember it begins with ridicule and mocking of Jesus, but it ends with him defending and believing in Jesus. So the question must be asked, what happened to him? What happened to him? What happened to him is what I pray happens to us every single time that we gather in this worship auditorium. That when you enter on a Sunday morning, or if you're watching online today, that when you enter into this worship experience, that there is enough presence of the Holy Spirit here that that when you feel and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, that something happens in your life. That when you leave here this morning, that there's been enough transforming power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, that you're not the same person as you were when you came in. What happened in those six hours with this man hanging next to Jesus? As I stated a few moments ago, unfortunately, we don't know anything about the history of this man. You can can do searches and commentaries. You can go online. You will find absolutely nothing about this man. We don't know anything about this man who's hanging next to Jesus. But whatever happened in his life, that brought him to this point in his life where he's hanging next to Jesus, something triggered something to bring him to this point. Maybe through many circumstances of bad choices, maybe even bad luck, as some would say it. Maybe he was a product of his environment and he finds himself condemned. Maybe maybe when he was born, he was born into a family situation that he didn't even know who his father was. Maybe there was no male influence in his life and maybe he experienced lots of rejection or abuse in his life. Maybe as a young child he was left abandoned on the streets to beg for his own food. Maybe maybe as a young man while living on the streets, maybe while he was on the streets in his hunger he stole food from a vendor. Maybe while being chased by a Roman centurion, there was a tussle and, and there was some kind of a wrestling. And in the tussle and wrestling, he inadvertently killed this man and was sent to prison. And now, he hangs on a cross. You look at his life, and you may think to yourself, what a poor man. What a horrible situation to be in. Maybe he didn't have a fair shake in his life. Maybe he didn't have a break. And maybe there in these moments in his life, something transpired where he finds himself in this critical situation. And in these waning moments, while he's hanging on the cross for six hours, the last hours of his life, God extends to him amazing grace to make right all the wrongs that he may have committed. This, is, this incident of this man, this criminal, hanging on the cross, isn't much different from other incidences in the Bible. 
Because when you study the scriptures, when you read the Bible, you find Jesus always compassionate toward people that the rest of the society has ostracized or the rest of society overlooks. Remember the blind beggar on the side of the road pleading for Jesus to heal him? And the people are yelling back, be quiet, shut up, Jesus doesn't have time with you. Remember that in story? And, the, and Jesus, when he hears the cry of this man's heart, he hears him, he stops, he makes time for him, and he restores his sight. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery, humiliated, guilty, and people had picked up stones and they were ready to stone her to death. And then Jesus comes along and rescues her from her condemnation. There's the tax collector where Jesus takes time to have dinner at his home. There's this prostitute who washes the feet of Jesus. There is this hated Roman centurion whose child is dying and Jesus compliments this man for his faith. And he, and he goes into this man's home and heals his daughter. All these incidences, and there are many more, when you read the scriptures, when you read the gospel, it shows us that God has a heart for those who are down and out, those who are undervalued, those who, are, those who have been ostracized and overlooked in our society. God has a heart for those people. In fact, in Psalm 68, verse 5, the Bible says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. What this verse and my previous comments about people, addresses about people, who, who feel they didn't get a fair shake in life, and maybe sometimes we feel that sometimes, where, where some people are having more advantageous opportunities than we sometimes get, and other people seem to get all the breaks in life, and, and, and everything is stacked up against us. And maybe you have even said, life isn't fair. It isn't fair to us. The, the decks are stacked against us. Maybe even thought, I didn't, I didn't stand a chance growing up or coming out of school. But let me tell you something. What we need to comprehend today is that God is always on the side of the oppressed, no matter how bad it looks. We need to understand that. God is always on the side of those who are oppressed, no matter how bad it looks. And this is true of Jesus as well, who constantly embraced people that culture and society did not have time for. Unfortunately, we don't know anything about the history of this man hanging on the cross. We have no knowledge of him. Maybe, maybe he grew up in a loving family where everything was provided for. Maybe his parents worked hard to give all the children in the family everything that they needed. Yet as a young man, this man who was hanging on the cross, as a young man, he rebelled and he walked away from it all and he fell in with the wrong crowd and he engaged in criminal activity where eventually he ended up killing someone. Now he's on death row in, on, in prison, angry and bitter, and now his sentence is death hanging on a cross. 
while he's hanging on the cross, transformation happens. A hardened criminal to someone who is broken and repentant. A mocking individual to somebody humbly asking for help from Jesus. For six hours, six hours hanging next to Jesus, six hours next to Jesus on a cross. By the way, Jesus, who is completely without sin, innocent, this criminal who's hanging next to Jesus witnesses an attitude that comes from Jesus and actions from the Messiah, which absolutely, when he notices this, transforms his life. Because while Jesus is hanging on the cross, Jesus prays. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And actually, the words that Jesus is praying on the cross He's quoting scripture found in Psalm 22, verse 16 through verse 19. Notice what it says in these verses. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang is closing in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. My enemies, my enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. O Lord, O Lord. Do not stay far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Those are the words of Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. Penned by, penned by King David 2,000 years. A prophetic word penned 2,000 years before Jesus was hanging on the cross. And in this moment, an excruciating moment, a painful moment, Physical suffering moment. The most excruciating period of time that any human being can endure. Jesus offers a prayer to those who hung him up on the cross, who had beaten him. And it's a prayer of forgiveness. And these criminals who were hanging next to Jesus, they had been beaten, they've been bruised in the same manner. And all three of them, hanging on the cross, experience the same kind of suffering, and yet Jesus prays for them who nailed him to the cross. Jesus prays, God forgive them. God forgive them. It's a prayer of grace. He could have, he could have, Jesus could have prayed a prayer of destruction a prayer of revenge because, listen, all of heaven was ready to pounce on humanity to save the Son of God. Jesus had been spit upon, ridiculed, mocked, beaten, humiliated, stripped naked, nailed to a cross. And yet when Jesus speaks, He doesn't pray for wrath. He speaks grace. Father, forgive me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 summarizes what's happening on the cross. Notice these words. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God 
through Christ. This verse is describing that Jesus Christ became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. See, the reason Jesus came into the world was that the sin of mankind had separated mankind from a relationship with God. And because, because of our sin, because of mankind's sin in the world, God turned his back. And because he's a holy, holy God, he cannot coexist with sin. But Jesus was sent into the world to become sin so that we could be made, humankind could be made righteous before God. In other words, friends, Jesus was forsaken by God so that we could be united with God. Did you get that? Jesus was forsaken by God so that you and I could be united with God. And we are here today. So here we are today. And maybe you are here today and you're feeling downcast and maybe you're angry upon life and maybe you're uncertain about the future and, and maybe you just feel ridiculed because of your faith. Maybe you experienced some ridicule this week. And by the world standards, listen, by the world standards, pretty much for the most part, Christians are overlooked and undervalued. But I can tell you this, we may experience all those kinds of travesties in our life, but I can tell you this, if you know Jesus, you're in right standing with God. So it doesn't matter all the ridicule, it doesn't matter how much we're overlooked, it doesn't matter if we don't measure up to the world standards, I'm the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Yes, that's what we need to understand. We need to understand that. It's the grace of Jesus while becoming the sin for humanity that leads to transformation. So you look at Luke chapter 23. We continue on in verse 41 of the story of this man hanging on the cross next to Jesus. This man is talking. He's saying, we deserve to die for our crimes. Referring to Jesus, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, the change of this criminal's heart it started with him mocking and ridiculing back in verse 39. Now he's coming to the defense of Jesus, and, and, and this is what's really interesting. A criminal we don't know anything about, you can't find anything about this man, is defending Jesus. Even the disciples didn't defend Jesus. Remember Peter, <laughs> a foremost disciple of Jesus, ran away from defending Jesus. He ran away from the opportunity. All the other disciples, they hid from the opportunity of defending Jesus. In fact, even Pilate, the Roman governor, washed his hands and absolved himself from identifying with Jesus. And here's this criminal hanging on a cross that we don't know anything about, He's asking for salvation. Luke 
you need to note this. Luke 23, verse 41, 42, and 43. These verses that we just read, these three simple verses, is the gospel message in a nutshell. It's the gospel. Those three verses identify what the gospel is. I deserve to be punished for my sinfulness. But if I humbly ask for God's forgiveness and grace, the assurance of salvation is mine. And just like that thief on the cross, when I surrender, an unexpected gift comes my way. A gift of transformation, a gift of grace, a gift of forgiveness. See, you and I are no different than that criminal hanging on the cross. We were sinners. But when you identify your sinfulness and you come before God, humbly asking for God's grace and forgiveness, He provides you the assurance of salvation. In one of the most famous paintings of all time, Rembrandt's painting of the crucifixion of Jesus, you notice on this picture, Rembrandt, in this particular painting, paints himself as if he were there at the moment that Jesus was crucified. It's the most interesting painting and concept that Rembrandt ever painted. It's as if Rembrandt understands his own broken humanity, his own sinfulness, his own rebellion. It's, it's as if Rembrandt understands that he is just like that thief. His story, his life is just like the thief, similar to the thief. And, and that's my story. And it's probably your story. When I recognize my own sinfulness, and yet when I come to the foot of the cross, and I call out, God, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Jesus, I understand that you were crucified. You didn't deserve your crucifixion, but you were crucified. Even though you didn't deserve this punishment, you were crucified, and you were willing to die for me so that I could have right standing with God. It almost seems presumptuous for the thief to ask Jesus, just prior to dying, remember, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> Seriously? I mean, you're at the moment's death. You've been a criminal your entire life. You've done some bad, horrible things. You're hanging on the cross. The audacity to ask just prior to your own death. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what has he done to deserve that? What has he done to make that kind of a statement? What has he done to ask that kind of a question? What has he done to earn that? There is something about this, and there's maybe something in us where we're always looking for some kind of vindication where we feel that something has to be done in order for this man to inherit forgiveness and grace. It's gift. He didn't do anything. He was a criminal. 
He didn't follow the rules. And yet still Jesus forgives him. And says to him, you, after today you'll be in paradise with me. How is that possible? How is it possible that someone who's nothing but a God-forsaken criminal is offered this grace and forgiveness? He's done nothing positive in his life. He's hanging on a cross. He's a criminal. That's not fair. That's what we would assume, wouldn't it? It's almost presumptuous for this man to just prior to his death saying, remember me when you come into his kingdom. And unfortunately, friends, there is this prevalent mindset among Christians that I would call a false gospel where we think that the only way to get into heaven, the only way we can get into paradise is by being good enough, by earning it, by somehow doing something marvelous and somehow God's favor would then rest upon us. And we look around and we look around and we view people who respond to the gospel, and we know their story, and then we say to ourselves, there is no way God should save that person. There is no way that God should redeem that person. That person does not deserve. We know that person. We know what they have done. We know that they don't deserve this free good. There's this mentality in our mind where we think that somebody has to do something in order to receive the forgiveness and salvation of God. Because if they didn't do anything positive, if they didn't get their life together and get their life together and make it proper, there's no way God should extend them forgiveness. We need to somehow earn our salvation first. The good has to outweigh the bad before they can be accepted by Christ. But what we forget, friends, you and I, none of us, deserve God's gift of grace. None of us deserve God's gift of grace. There's not one person in this room or those of you who are watching online today who is more deserving of God's grace than the other person. There's not one person who has the moral credentials to get into paradise by their own works. We can be so judgmental, but the truth is, listen, we can be so judgmental about other people and their lifestyle and what they should do and shouldn't do. But the truth is, there is no one who is more deserving than the next person. God's grace, whether you enter it at birth or you're a criminal right before execution who receives the pardon of Jesus, it's for all people. I remember, <laughs> I, f I have flown on an airline first class two times. My first flight in first class happened when I was flying from Mumbai, India to London, England on British Airways. And somehow inadvertently, I don't know if I got the time wrong or something happened, but I was the last person checking in. For some reason, I don't know how that happened, but for some reason, I was the last person checking in, and they had already given my seat away. So I'm checking in, and they're, you know, they're rapidly typing on their computer's keyboard. You know, things are flying. You know, the hands are moving fast. And all of a sudden, he, the, the, the agent says, by the way, we have one seat left. It's in first class. Would you like it? 
What would you say? Absolutely. It's a 12-hour flight from Mumbai to London, England. Absolutely. I've never flown in first class. And then I decided, I am not going to sleep. Absolutely, I'm not going to sleep in first class. I want to enjoy this experience. I don't want to be comatose while I'm in first class. I want to enjoy every moment. I want all the food. I want all the drinks that they have to offer. I want all the magazines and newspapers that they can bring me. I want to be waited on hand and foot. I am not sleeping. This is first class. I want to have all the cutlery, all the china before me. I want to eat everything. I want to take every food on every menu that they bring out to me. I'm eating it all. The second time, a friend of ours had expiring air miles and had donated first class to my wife and myself, Gabby and I, and we were upgraded to first class. So we're sitting there, in first class again, just, we feel like royalty when you're in first class. Like, bring it all on. Just bring it all on. And I noticed that there were other people in first class who must have been upgraded as well. And it must have been their first time. Because I'm an experienced first class. I've only gone one time, but I'm now experienced. You know, I'm seeing, they're, they're doing everything that I did. The first time I went, they're ordering all the food. They've taken off their shoes. Their socks are off. They're barefoot in first class. They're, they got their sweaters off, and they're hanging their coats up. And, 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 and they're taking full advantage, making all kinds of demands, and taking advantage of all the amenities of first class. And I'm looking down on these people. In fact, I turned to my wife, and I said, it must be their first time in first class. Can you believe how they're acting? Can you believe how they're acting? And I found myself looking down on these people who are in first class in this airline. And I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for the airline. I'm embarrassed for them. How can they be so rude and make all these demands? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, we don't need those kind of people in first class. And somewhere in my thought processes, I had totally forgotten that I don't deserve to be in first class either. See, the reality, friends, is that the thief on the cross received an unexpected gift that he didn't deserve. The worst day of his life turned into the best day of his life. And Jesus makes him an incredible promise. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. And friends, we, myself included, we are all like that thief on the cross. We have nothing to offer God. I don't deserve first class. I am a sinner. I am broken. I am sinful. But Lord... Will you help me? Will you forgive me? Will you save me? And Jesus says, yes. One day, one day in heaven, when I'm in heaven, one day, I'm going to find this thief on the cross. 
that I don't know anything about. You can't Google his name. You can't find him. But one day in heaven, I'm going to find this thief on the cross. And I'm going to ask him, I'm going to say to him, you don't know me, I don't know you, but what Jesus did for you, he also did for me. What Jesus did for you, thief, Jesus also did for me. And I think, I think, listen, I think, I think you will agree with me. You and I, we have a lot in common with that thief on the cross. When in my worst day, when my life is hard, when there's brokenness, and things aren't going right, and I'm just overwhelmed with life, I don't, want to pu- I don't want to push God away. I don't want to become bitter and angry. But what instead I want to do is I want to, I want to call out to God in all humility. In those moments when I feel so distraught and overwhelmed and overcome and disappointed and a lot of stuff in life, Instead of pushing God away, what I really need at that moment is a Jesus encounter. And whatever God does or did to that criminal who was hanging on the cross, whatever God did in that man's heart while hanging on the cross in six hours, I want God, when I'm having a bad day, to do the same in my heart and extend to me his love, his compassion, his kindness, to extend to me his forgiveness, to extend to me his grace so that I can move forward and go on and live another day to bring glory and honor to the one who gave me the greatest unexpected gift that I didn't deserve, which was the gift of salvation. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me as our worship team comes? Those of you at home, will you join us in prayer as well? And then stay, stay for one final song as we conclude our service today. Let's worship together and let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, may we have a fresh and new perspective of your grace. They, that you redeemed us, even though we didn't deserve us. You made us righteous in an unrighteous world. You have forgiven us. You have cleansed us. Oh, God, we are so grateful this morning for your love and your extension of forgiveness. It is the most unexpected gift that we didn't deserve. And so, Lord, let us embrace this day, this Mother's Day. Let us embrace this day with new fervor and new opportunities of living for you because Lord you love us more than we can ever imagine and you have promised us eternity with you forever and I praise you God
I love you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.